Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined, as always, by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. How are you, Aaron? Steve, I am doing well. I'm afraid I'm going to have to get out the uh, the waders and get a raft here. As much <laughs> water as what we've been getting, but I am looking forward to today's show as we have Jonathan Van Dam on board for this week's Angler Spotlight, and then we're going to be heading up to Connecticut, I guess up in relation to where we're at, to talk with Josh concerning a listener question that he had sent in. Sort of a uh, youthful touch to the to the show today, and uh, sounds great. I'm looking forward to all of that. So let's get it going. Get it like that, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing, Oh, did you just see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. had a pretty neat week around here uh, that is before the skies opened up on us that is for sure you know we had the ability uh, to head down to the pond boss three conference with our good friend bob lusk and what an event you know held there at uh, big cedar lodge and uh, certainly I, I i was overwhelmed with the amount of knowledge that was uh, being tossed around there steve well, you know, it was one of those places when I was down there, I kind of kept my mouth shut because there's a bunch of biologists and people that knew what they were talking about, and uh, uh, it was a good time to listen. Just so fascinating. Of course, the, the show itself was about managing ponds and private waters, but uh, a lot of that was talk about the fish that you could apply to to fishing on larger bodies of water and public water. Well, absolutely it was. You know, a couple of the... Uh, presentations and breakout sessions that I attended that really stand out to me, not just because of it being, you know, concerning bass, but also like what you had mentioned. It applies regardless if you have, you know, a half acre pond that you fish or, you know, a 44,000 acre reservoir. And that is on the topic of not only structure, but also water clarity. There was an entire breakout session, Steve, talking about building your own structure or utilizing natural structure, um, you know, whether it be trees or or brush piles or things like that, docks and and those type of things. Did you see the things that that they had there that looked like these big stars or satellites, but they had, uh, but they were this plastic structure that you could buy for the ponds. Did you see those things? I absolutely did. And and those were really unique. Now, of course, um, you know, that's ones that you can actually go out and buy, but the individual who did the presentation, um, you know, used like pallets, you know, crates and pallets that you, mm-hmm. you get from shipping boxes on to, um, you know, one of the guy, actually, uh, the ponds that he had managed, the individual, I guess, installed satellite dishes, and they took a bunch of old satellite dishes and built some structure out of that. So, you know, I mean, it was really, really unique. And then it showed pictures of how the fish related to that. So just a, a wealth of information in my book. Well, and you know, when I saw those structures, they were plastic. And I thought back and try to remember that the first time that you and I ever went fishing together, we fished around some structures that you had built yourself out of, uh, it was PVC pipe, was it not? Yeah, that is correct. And um, actually just cut them, you know, took some six-inch uh, PVC, about four feet long, 
drilled some holes in it, and then took some inch and a half and kind of uh, ran, you know, six uh, poles through it that way. It kind of really looks like, a, I guess, a television antenna. Um, took some sandpaper, you know, roughed it up a little bit so that the algae will grow mm-hmm. on that a lot quicker. And um, we actually, I think, if I remember right, Steve, I think we actually caught some fish off of those, didn't we? Well, we did, and I was so impressed because you could fish this structure and not get hung up on it. That's what I liked about it. But uh, uh, I was pretty impressed. You know, I I, I kind of figured you just you were just another one of these guys out there that thought he knew what he's talking about. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still fall prey to that. <laughs> but uh, no, I was pretty impressed with that, and I remember we caught some good fish, and that started a long. Uh, friendship and relationship that I still cherish, but uh, you know, at the at the uh, event itself, you and I just we couldn't. We did pass. Uh, we did get a chance to have lunch together and visit, but uh, our schedules were such that we had to go to different uh, portions of the program. And I know that you heard the, you got to hear the lectures and 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 listen to some of the biologists talk. And I made it down the next afternoon where they had all the demonstrations, and uh, it was really cool. I wish you could have made it down there. You know, they put a boat on one of the ponds there uh, that they were uh, using to as a demonstration pond, and uh, they shocked some fish up. They caught some in fight nets. They were aging some fish. They were. Uh, uh, pumping some fish stomachs to see what they were eating, and uh, it was uh, really fascinating. You would like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think going back to just, again, uh, not only the hands-on stuff that they had there, but back to the breakout sessions, the other seminar that, that really stands out was the one that was talking or referring to water clarity, and it went through uh, the the entire um I guess, food chain, you know, from everything from the mud on the bottom to what feeds on that to, you know, how the nymphs come out of the, you know, the soil to the the fish, the bait fish to the fish that feed on the, the bait fish to the vegetation all across the board. And then if any one of those variables changes, what impact that has on the body of water. So just think about, you know, here we're talking obviously about ponds. But, you know, you take that on a lot bigger perspective and talking about, you know, these environmental conditions that we're faced with due to spills and just negligence on our part and trash and those type of Mm -hmm. things. It really makes you think, um, you know, what we're kind of the footprint that we're leaving on the body of water. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, and that's true. And we've talked about it on on here a lot of times. And I know uh, uh, Jonathan Van Dam is going to come up and talk to us a little bit about talking in various parts of the country. But, you know, one thing we end up saying is that fish are fish, and I think it's fair to say that good fish habitat is good fish habitat. And, of course, uh, everything they they spoke about uh, applies to larger bodies of water. And it's all the more you know, the more you have in your toolbox to make the right decisions out there in the water. Yeah, well, and Steve, I think you even uh, had the opportunity correct me if I'm wrong, but to get out on the water on, on the lake with one of the biologists that were in attendance to do a little bit of fishing, right? Well, I was in a camera boat. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think I would use that excuse because I know but I did see fishing rods hanging over. <laughs> I did. I, you know, they, they had a little tournament there that they, they had held for the, for the attendees of the conference in uh uh, and of course, uh, a lot of the guys from the lakes were were there fishing with some of the, the attendees. But uh, Gene Gilliard, who's uh, one of the real senior biologists for the Oklahoma Department of 
of uh, fisheries. Uh, he uh, he had his boat and he wanted to go fishing and he didn't really want to uh, <clears throat> fish in the tournament. <clears throat> and he uh, he he was looking for somebody that knew the lake and you were there, so I went over and asked you a few quick questions and and we did. We got out and fished. Uh, we got to fish for about three hours and had a great time. Well, did you observe uh, that it was typical, you know, September conditions like we've been talking about for so long? We're about to actually about to get out of September here shortly, but, you know, we just well, got a lot of rain. Well, somewhat, somewhat. You know, we uh, actually, the first place we stopped was one of the spots that you and I had caught so many fish on this summer. And uh, it was a cloudy, windy day, which, you know, uh, I, I think you typically look shallower for the fish. And we found the fish stacked up really pretty good at uh, 22 feet. And uh, so, uh, you know, we'd start throwing football jigs, and, and, and we did catch some fish. Uh, we, we didn't catch any real size, uh, but we moved on into another cove, and we did find that the fish were staying at this 22 level, but they were starting to move back into the coves at this same at this same level. So uh, I had talked, you know, Brian Snowden, uh, elite angler, was one of the guides in the tournament. I talked to him afterward, and they had caught some really nice fish. And he told me that the bigger fish that they had caught, they had to go a little deeper, and they caught them more in the 26 and 27. So. Uh, we probably could have moved out and caught some better fish. Well, and that was going to be, you know, we get that question, I think, a lot. And I know you had that opportunity to visit with, I think there was, I don't know, 19 or 20, you know, guides and, and individuals that make their living on that lake. Did you get any sense of, you know, feedback from them that it more or less happens in stages, you know, of the deep to shallow movement? Or, you know, is it is it more related to size as far as when that takes place? Any Any thoughts there? Well, I will tell you, in a general sense, the guy that had been fishing the lake said it had been slow. And I think that's just always an indication that that you've begun a, this sort of transition. And, and it's my feeling that the, it's not that the fish aren't eating, it's that they're kind of they're difficult to find and they're a little more scattered in a more of a linear way because some have started to migrate in and some have not. But uh, but it, it, everybody that caught fish, and there were a lot of boats that, that, that were unable to catch fish, it, it was pretty tough. And like I said, that's uh, I think that's an indication of transition. And, and when folks out there run into this sort of uh, transition period, uh, you just have to be willing to move around and look and to consider that these fish are following shad up into the, up into the coves and go try to find where the largest number of fish are upon that, you know, in that within that migration, and and be versatile. It can be tough, but the right adjustments, and you can still catch fish any time of year, for that matter. Well, good point. And one last thing, I wish I would have had the ability to to ask one of the biologists is the fact that you know, with all of the rain, I mean, we're talking you know, three and four inches. Some areas got six to seven inches of rain. We talk about this fall turnover and with that oxygen stratifying and scattering out throughout the water column. I just wonder what their thought is with all of the runoff that comes into a particular body of water this time of year, if that, you know, actually kind of expedites that, that process of them moving up into the shallows or really if there's just no effect. Well, you know, I'm sure I did not talk specifically about that with, with the guys, but I I, I, I believe... Personally, first of all, you know, when we've talked about before 
about turnover that it, it can be happening, especially in a huge lake like Tabor Rock where we were. It can be happening at different places on the lake at different times. And so uh, cooler water, you know, cooler water is what makes that happen. And we we did have a, a kind of a not a cold rain but a very cool rain come in and uh, and I think in the areas where the lake was most affected by that say up by the James in the James River area that uh, if that didn't start it will start very soon and that's kind of a kickstart to that. Well, sure. And speaking of kickstart, I think we better get a head start on this interview. Uh, looking forward to talk with Jonathan and looking forward to uh, seeing what he has to say about kind of the north versus south. But, yeah, I'm anxious to hear that. Uh, so let's take a quick break here, and we'll be back with Jonathan Van Dam. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow. Dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Electronics 101. Harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Hi, I'm Dave Wolak. My favorite waterside place to eat, it's called the Naked Turtle at Lake Champlain. We are back on the edge, and this week's guest is certainly no stranger to the Bass Edge audience, as he helped us mine Minnesota's vegetation back in Season 3. It is Jonathan Van Dam. Jonathan, how are you, man? Oh, I'm not, uh, you know, not too bad, you know, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, great to have you, and I want to jump right off into it, you know, with you living in Michigan, uh, I've got to ask you, have you been yanking on some of those smallmouths, or have you found yourself a little bit farther south this time of year? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I like to get farther south this time of year, you know, but, you know, honestly, there's no better time up here to, to go and catch some smallmouths, and I have been doing quite a bit of that lately. You know, speaking of north versus south, um, can you summarize, kind of in in your opinion, what are some of the major differences, if if there are any? Uh, you know, honestly, there there's really not too many differences. To be honest with you, um, the biggest thing that you find, you know, in the north versus south is that north, uh, you know, having the winters that's cold freezes over and that type of thing. Um, what happens is you you really see the whole season that everybody sees down south but you see it in such a smaller time frame, you know, which really helps with the adaptability and, uh, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, but otherwise, you know, you're going to, you're going to see a lot of the same kind of structure. You know, um, I would say there's probably more vegetation, uh, in the North than there is in the South, but there, you know, then again, there's also different types of vegetation too. Um, but I would say the biggest thing is, is definitely going to be the time frame. And I, I think, you know, that's, that's what really, you know, benefits uh, northern anglers is that they see everything in such a smaller time frame. And, uh, you know, they have to learn to adapt and, and change quickly with the, with the conditions. Well, that's a good point. And, you know, speaking of shorter time frames, are you, are you referencing that, you know, 
that it, it happens more quickly and that maybe a, a spawning season or a post-spawn or, you know, the summer patterns happen later? Or can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, um, I mean, basically what, what you're looking at is we have a, a lot shorter of a spawn, you know, spawn time. You know, that's why the bass don't get as big, a lot shorter of a, of a you know, the growing season for the bass. Um, you know, the, the summer patterns, uh, you know, they're not in their summer patterns for as long. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's the same goes with, with pretty much any season. Um, you know, the, the, the seasons change so quickly, you know, really the, the spawn here, um, you know, you can, you can kind of work the spawn for maybe you know, a month, you know, traveling up and down, uh, the state of Michigan, depending on how far North you go, you know, whereas down South, if you fish like a Florida or a Texas, you know, you're looking at the spawn, they spawn anywhere in, you know, beginning in January and they spawn for, you know, two, three months at, at times. And, uh, you know, that's one, of the, one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, the, the spawn is something I love to do is I love to sight fish, uh, you know, where, where down south you have a, a lot of time to sight fish and, and do a lot of that, uh, you know, a few months. And whereas up here, you know, it, it, we only have a couple of weeks to do that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, you're also looking at, you know, the, the change, the, the change from the spawn, you know, into the post-spawn summer patterns, that happens a lot quicker too. Um, you know, the spawn here, in Michigan typically starts the end of May and it will run through, you know, mid June. And then it's, it's pretty much done. And then you're starting to see the post spawn. And by the time the end of June, early July hits, you're already at your summer patterns. So, um, you know, you only got, you know, maybe a month in there from them to go from the spawn, you know, all the way to their summer patterns already. Sure. That's, that's certainly not much time when you compare that to their Southern counterparts. And, you know, here we are, I guess, really the, the last week of September, what is happening with with the bass in the north right now? Well, Aaron, it's been a it's been a weird year. Uh, you know, the summer seems to have lasted a lot longer. You know, right now, um, you know, it's 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 been pretty warm through uh, you know this month and you know the month of August that was uh, was pretty warm too. And uh, you know, the, the fish are kind of hanging out in their summer patterns a little bit longer. You know, right now I would typically expect. Uh, like the smallmouth up north to be starting to move shallow and that kind of thing, um, you know, where they're, they're still catching them deep up there in, in a lot of their summer pattern things. Um, you know, in the fall is one of my favorite times to go fish for smallmouth. You know, I'm actually going uh, up north in, in, in a few weeks here um, to a charity event, a Fish with the Pros charity event up in northern Michigan where the, I, would, I would expect the smallmouth to be, you know, to be shallow generally, um, you know, early October kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not really sure what to expect now, just being that it's been, you know, warm summer, um, you know, and the summer's been just carried out still a little bit warmer, it's, um, but it's starting to get cooler at nights, and I think that will start to kind of push the fish up. Well, and don't you think, you know, speaking of, of how kind of you alluded to some changing weather patterns that maybe aren't um, ordinarily the case, don't you think that's where, you know, keeping records and kind of keeping a log, um, because you'll see trends over time develop. Is that something that you go back and reference that it kind of helps, you know, whether you be a, a, maybe a week or, or so off um, so that you can ad adjust and adapt as the weather permits? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something I'd recommend to keep a log. I know I keep a log of, uh, you know, different weather conditions and stuff. I might not keep as detailed of a log, you know, as, uh, 
you know, as most do, you know, writing down every day they go out or something like that. But, um, you know, I like to keep different ideas, you know, just basic ideas of what the fish should be doing at a given time, um, you know, and then you can go out and just kind of base it on that. And, you know, you, you adapt, you have to adapt from that, obviously. Um, you know, the fish aren't going to be doing the same thing, you know, this year on, you know, on this week as they were last year this week. Um, you know, it could be 180 degrees, you know, the other direction. Um, so, I mean, it, but it just gives you a place to start, a good base uh, that you can really branch off of and, and, and work from and really key, to, key in on those fish. Do you approach, uh, say, natural bodies of water? Because obviously I know, you know, a lot of the water that you fish there in the north are, aren't going to be natural lakes. And I certainly understand that, you know, you fish a lot of man-made reservoirs and river systems throughout your tournament trail. Do you approach the two differently? Yeah, um, that's definitely something you, you, you approach differently. The man-made lakes are generally going to be, you know, quite a bit deeper. Uh, they don't have necessarily like a river channel like a lot of the reservoirs down south. Um, but they do have a lot of the same features, you know, you're, you're, you know, in the fall, that kind of thing, you're looking for like grass flats and, and stuff like that. Flats where fish are going to start pulling up on and feeding and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, the, that's the nice thing also about Michigan is we do have, you know, a you know, select few reservoirs. We do have man-made ra- lakes. We have river systems and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, so I, I really get a chance to fish, you know, all different ones even here in Michigan. Um, but, you know, there's definitely a different approach, uh, you know, to the, to the uh, you know, the, the regular lake, you know, the natural lakes as, as the man-made lakes. Um, you know, if you look at, like, uh, Lake Champlain, you know, compared to a Gunnersville, and depending on what time you fish them, uh, you know, we'll say, you know, right, you know, if you're going to go fish either one of those right now, you know, Champlain, I would approach, you know, more as, um, you know, you want to be looking, there's smallmouth and largemouth there, you know, and, it's, and as far as vegetation-wise, um, you know, the south end of Champlain is, is very similar to, like, a Gunnersville, a lot of weed mats and that kind of thing where you can catch largemouth, too, um, you know, but, you know, generally the approach is, is, you know, quite a bit different, um, you know, but then again, you're still kind of, kind of looking for the same kind of features like, you know, grass and that kind of thing. Well, and to retrace our steps a little bit, you brought about, you know, kind of what the fish should be doing in your upcoming charity tournament about as far as them being shallow. Let's say for those of us who might be coming up uh, to visit, you know, Michigan or, or the north country, um, what should we be keying in on right now? Now I'm telling you this uh, this time of year, the fall is the best time if you if you want to go up and just catch a whole bunch of fish. Um, what you should be looking for, you know, when you, when you when you travel, you know, to Michigan. I, if you're going to go to Michigan, you're going to want to go. You know, I would go either to the east side of the state and fish lakes like St. Clair or something like that, or go all the way to the north near Traverse City, and uh, you know, really try try to key in and find those big smallmouths, which should be, you know, those should be schooling up a little bit uh, into you know little wolf packs and stuff, and, and uh, hunting and, and just just doing tons and tons of feeding, and uh, you know what you want to look for is you know those those flats, those you know eight to twelve foot flats with some rock, maybe some you know weed patches on the bottom, scattered weed patches. And, uh, you know, the fish are basically just cruising those flats right now looking for bait fish and feeding up, to, uh, you know, build some protein and stuff for the for the winter. Well, and what about as far as what would you be targeting those areas with? What type of bait? 
Uh, I, I like to throw a lot of moving baits, um, you know, something that I can fish fast, cover a lot of water, because generally these flats are, are pretty big, and, and smallmouth in particular, they don't really necessarily stay on any given structure. They uh, they like to roam, um, chase the bait fish around. Uh, so I, I'd throw a lot of, you know, something like, a, you know, a rattle trap, um, spinner bait, uh, you can even throw like a spook, something like that. Um, you know, but if you get like a coal front or something, a drop shot too, uh, with a minnow on it, uh, just targeting those weed patches that, you know, you should be able to see, uh, up here because the water is, you know, is clear enough. Um, just anything that they could kind of, you know, hang near, um, you know, to ambush from fish that's on that flat, whether it's a weed patch, a rock pile, a, a log. Uh, whatever it might be, but uh, you know, I like to you know again throw the moving bait, something that looks a lot like a bait fish, uh, some sort of shad pattern, and that generally seems to work the best this time of year. And how does that compare? Because I know you just came out of the South. How does that compare and mess with your you know psyche a little bit compared to say let's uh, I don't know Texas or Florida or a lake in California? Well, you know, there's a there's a lot of different ways to catch them. Um, you know, to catch them down south too. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, last year, um, I was at Gunnersville this time of year, uh, and rather than up north fishing for smallmouth. And, uh, you know, the, the target at, you know, the base at, uh, Gunnersville was a lot different than what I would have expected. Um, you know, than, than what I knew from, from being up north and, uh, you know, up north, you know, Gunnersville, there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of weed mats and guys were, they were throwing things like frogs, um, you know, and this big weed flats, you know, throwing frogs over the top of these mats and, and, and flipping and punching through into the, into the thick, heavy cover. Um, you know, whereas, you know, up north, I'm, I'm targeting more scattered, isolated stuff, you know, whereas down when I was at Gunnersville, I was, you know, looking for, you know, real thick weeds and, and that kind of thing. So it, it really, really uh, varies depending on where you go. You know, I know right now, uh, talking to a few friends in Florida, the flipping and, and weed mat punching bite uh, is really good down in Florida on like Toho and, uh, you know, around Okeechobee right now as well. So if you were to venture, let's say, down on the St. John's or Toho or Okeechobee, kind of in that area, chances are you're going to have something tied on to punch with. Yeah, that, that's definitely, uh, you know, definitely be one of my, probably one of the main things that I would look for is, you know, Manta Hydrilla or, or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it might be down there, some Kissimmee grass, depending on where I'm in in Florida, uh, that kind of thing. Well, John, I know you're certainly a versatile angler. And one of the things I think that we get asked quite often here on the edge is how do you decide when to throw, say, a crayfish imitating bait versus, you know, more that's going to represent, say, a bait fish pattern? Uh, that's, that's definitely a, a good question. It's one that I hear quite a bit as well. Um, you know, and the best thing I can tell you is just, just given the certain area that you're fishing, um, you know, bass are always going to feed on, on crawfish or, you know, or a bait fish if they have the opportunity, uh, you know, pretty much in any given area. And, and generally, if you pull into an area and you see a lot of bait fish, um, you know, I would definitely, you know, lean towards throwing something that looks like a bait fish, you know, or, or uh, you don't think there's much or there's a lot of thick weeds. And you basically just go with your instincts. And that's that's one of the biggest things that, you know, I can tell. And that's what I tell young anglers, um, you know, they, if they ask me, you know, what I, what I got to do to be a pro and, and this and that. And the biggest thing, you know, I can tell you, you know, is what, you know, what makes guys like Kevin so good um, is, is they have the ability to adapt. And basically what that is is just uh, – 
just instincts based and um you know just just going with that gut feeling you know if you pull up to a spot and you're like man this is a good crankbait spot you know and that's what you should be throwing uh you know whether or not it works out you might have to adjust from there but you know that's the best thing to do is just go with the instincts on that one well that's that's certainly good advice and you know to kind of put that in perspective i certainly remember on our on our trip uh, last season to lake vermilion when we were catching in those nice you know small mouth that we were you know there was a couple of those pockets that we pulled into and there was just literally thousands of crayfish that we couldn't even keep off our baits <laughs> right right yeah we were pulling up crayfish almost every cast yeah, almost enough to have a fry, but you know, I think that's that's <laughs> certainly something that we want to keep our eyes peeled for is you know just the presence of, of bait fish and then accompanying that, like you said, with uh, the instinct. One final thing that I want to jump into, I guess, is going to be the topic of vegetation. You know, and certainly, like you mentioned, there there is some differences between north and south, but you know, when you get to this time of year. Um, vegetation can is, is probably starting to maybe die off a little bit or the growing season has certainly subsided. How do you know when to fish vegetation or when to get the heck away from it? Um, you know, that's a, that's tough to say. Uh, you know, generally when the, when it starts to die off and that, that kind of thing, which is, is you know, is going to be here shortly. Um, you know, it's already started to up here in Michigan is, uh, I like to look for any sort of vegetation left that, you know, the greenest vegetation, most healthy vegetation you can find. Um, you know, generally that will help with, with holding the concentrations of bass, um, you know, it's really hard to to avoid it entirely, uh, you know, because generally, depending on where you're at, there's so much of it, um, you know, but there's certain times of the year where you're where, where rock and, and uh, you know, especially in the fall, I, I like to fish a lot of, uh, you know, like rock shoreline gravel and stuff like that because, you know, once the water temperature starts to drop, you know, the rocks and, and the sand and that kind of thing is going to be something that retains the most heat, um, you know, so you're going to be want to look in, you know, one of the big things to look at, uh, in the fall is going to be, you know, and also the spring is going to be like your your water temperature. You want to try to find some some of the areas with the with the warmest water, and uh, you know that's kind of going to be one of the main attack patterns, you know, that time of year. Well, that's all good advice. Last item before we shut down, John, just kind of for fun, your favorite place to fish and why? My favorite place to fish, man. That's, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to go with the brown fish on this one and, uh, you know, and go with northern Michigan. You know, I'm not going to name any lakes. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's so many lakes up there, in all honesty, that, you know, are with a you know, stone throw away. Like I said, Traverse City is one of the best places on the planet to uh, to go smallmouth fishing. And, uh, you know, I would not be surprised to see, you know, there's i can almost guarantee you know there's there's a world record class smallmouth up there and uh there's just so many of them and so many big ones in, in the fall and and uh you know the spawn is, is the best time to catch those big ones but uh, i'm just gonna say that's my favorite area i'm, I'm not gonna say any lakes in particular <laughs> no no waypoints or anything like that no 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 waypoints you know maybe maybe uh you know maybe maybe for certain people but you know, it's going to cost big bucks. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure I'm not on that short list. But, uh, <laughs> well, John, it is always a pleasure to have you on here. Unfortunately, I owe us a break. So thanks for your time. I look forward to doing it again, and best of luck in the future. All right. Thanks, Aaron. It was great to be on.
Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Great to hear from John. He's, he's such a fine young man. I remember fondly the uh, the show we shot with him in Minnesota. And, uh, of course, it's always great to hear from the younger folks in the business. And But I especially like to hear from folks that, uh, you know, from different parts of the country that talk about the differences in catching fish uh, all over the country. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I almost had to chuckle a little bit because he has been, you know, certainly he's from Michigan, but uh, just actually returned from being down south and, you know, had a, a a great opportunity to be able to compare and contrast as far as what is taking place in different parts of the country. Because, you know, last week's question, I think, was right around that very topic, you know, south versus north. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a, you know, he's a great example of a guy who can make the huge adjustments. You know, a Michigan angler uh, who in his first tournament went down and got like a second or third place at the St. John's River in Florida. And if you'll remember, last year when we fished Vermilion, and this is a great show. Anybody that hadn't seen this needs needs to take a look at this. But all the, all the guides and everybody we'd talked to to try to learn about the lake and indicated to us that it would be a deep bite. Well, he got out there a day early, determined quickly that there was no deep bite, and by the time we were on the water the next day, he had found fish in that two- to four-foot range, and we just smeared them. Absolutely, and you know, I think when you look at uh, what we talk about so often, versatility and not being locked in to, you know, Fishing the past, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. But um, So, yeah, I, I certainly appreciate the words that he had to say there. The advice I thought was fantastic, and I thought uh, his comparison to north versus south made the absolute sense. Well, it, it did. It was great to hear, and it's, it's going to be fun to watch him and watch his career develop. But our listener question this week uh, comes from another young angler. It says, hello, I'm a senior at George Mason University. My question involves boat buying. Currently, I'm fishing out of a custom 14-foot aluminum boat on the Potomac River. When I graduate this year, I definitely have my mind set on buying a bass boat so I can cover more water on the Potomac and fish tournaments. What is some advice you can give me on buying a bass boat for someone just graduating college on a tight budget? Thank you for all your help, and that's from Josh in Connecticut. Well, Josh, thanks for sending in that question, and I think it is certainly um, one that I can remember having to consider when I was in college. I I would throw out there first and foremost, really look at your budget and come up with a number that you know that either 
whether it be you have the money in the bank or of some sort of payment schedule uh, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are going to be able to make each and every month. Because the last thing that you want to have happen is you, you make this transition. And I have seen this happen all too many times. You know, you have a, a boat right now that you're able to catch fish in. It's fairly economical, dependable, gets you around. And then the individuals take this huge step up, uh, budgetarily speaking, and then all of a sudden they're stressed and they're worried about not being able to to make their payments and they're actually having to work more, which cuts into their fishing time. So that's going to be my first suggestion. The other thing is that right now, look at the economic situation of which we find ourselves. This is a boat buyer's market, meaning that there are some great deals on some mm-hmm. used inventory that is out there with, that still has warranty left on it, uh, those type of things. So those are going to be my first two pieces of advice. you know. And then finally, um, you know, I think look at as far as length and horsepower, if you're fishing predominantly on the Potomac River, you know, look at what type or where you're going to be fishing. Whereas if you're going to be fishing all over the country, maybe you do want to step up to a 21 foot or something like that. But you know, that 18, 19 foot range um, with the horsepower, uh, trolling motor, that type of thing, normal depth finders, that's going to get you around just fine and you're always going to be able to upgrade. Well, that's uh, that's all good advice, Aaron. I can't I can't help but think about you. As you know, I uh, wildlife photography is sort of a hobby of mine, and uh, I get I get so tickled sometimes when people see a, a photograph of mine that they like, and they say, "Wow, what kind of camera you do, do you have?" And I just you know I always want to say, you know, it's not the camera; it's 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 the photographer. And uh, and I think to a lot of degrees that's kind of true, and I think it really applies to, to to the question that Josh has asked us here. I mean, let's face it; those fish don't know the difference in your 14 foot aluminum or that big old pretty 20 foot 21 foot legend. So, uh, uh, you know, stay within stay within your budget. Think about the water you're going to fish, like you like like Aaron said. Uh, you know, gas prices have been all over the place in the last few years, so uh, fuel economy in that boat is going to be an issue. Uh, but uh, we just, uh, I, you know, I can't help uh, reminisce here a little bit, you know. I guess it's kind of the old cards are in me, but uh, Aaron, I wish you could see my first bass boat. <laughs> They just don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> it's a big old square-fronted caddo, and it kind of had this little like ledge that went out on the front. And I think it was designed to keep you dry, but uh, I'll tell you what, my little old 35-horsepower Chrysler motor didn't push it <laughs> fast enough to bring any waves over the side. But but uh, it's an exciting time, man. Buying that first boat is, is just a special time in your life, and uh I know Josh is going to have a lot of fun in his boat, but then a lot of fun shopping, too. Well, he sure is, and certainly that's, you know, really when you look at it, uh, sites like uh, BoatCrazy.com, and, uh, you know, there's so many different sites out there now through the through the Internet that really makes boat shopping so much easier. You know, you can look at boats uh, of one particular kind. For instance, you do a search on Legend or something, you're going to pull up, you know, boats all over the country. So I think that is a... Uh, again part of the fun of it now because you don't have to go to all these places you can see so many different brands and models and makes and boy it kind of gets you looking licking your lips doesn't it boy that is so true and something you said earlier you know occasionally i'll go on to uh i'm kind of a window shopper a little bit like my wife there and uh i'll go on to iboats.com and uh sort of uh 
just look from time to time. I, I haven't got the money to buy another boat right now, but uh, always looking. But uh, you're exactly right about the price of, of used boats right now. I mean, there's some uh, there's some incredible deals out there if you're if you're very careful about. Uh, uh, you know the, the motor that you that you buy used. Well, there sure is. And uh, Josh, just one last thing, and then we've got to get out to a break. Throw it out there: is use that internet. You know, boatcrazy.com, Bass Boat Central, like Steve brought up, iBoats. But all of those things can be useful tools, um, and go from there. So, best of luck. Thanks for sending in the question. I do need to get us out to our final break, but when we come back, we'll be talking about who's up next week. Finally, a safe and convenient way to access any trailer boat. Introducing the new Flex Step by MegaWare Keelguard. Forget climbing over the sides ever again. Mount a Flex Step on the side of your trailer for easy access to rod lockers and tackle compartments with no boarding. Or bolt the high quality aluminum Flex Step to your trailer's tongue and enter your craft without ever getting wet again. Completely flexible, great for cleaning windshields, and the hollow tube doubles as a storage area. Available at major marine centers or learn more via the web. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Well, Steve, it is hard to believe, but we've, we've actually reached the end of the line here. Well, it's, uh, it always seems like we don't have enough time, but it was great to hear from all the young folks this week, and I know we've got another great show next week. We do have another good show next week, and look forward to that. But unfortunately, that is it for today, so be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen each and every day on the World Fishing Network. Also, log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from the pros and a chance to win great prizes. And for all of our Facebook and Twitter users out there, be sure and uh, friend us on your list. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you next week right here on the edge. Bass Edge has been brought to you in part by Ditch Witch, MegaWare Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Super Start Batteries, Mother's Polishes, Waxes and Cleaners, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.